Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 473 of Longbox Heroes. Joe and Todd joining you here. I almost said Adam, because you were just talking about Adam before we started recording. In a, only in a flattering light, though. Is there any other way to talk about the co-host of At Odds with Wrestling? There that is in a flattering not. way. There is not another way, Joe. Okay. I know there's flattering ways to discuss us, but we can't say that on the uh, clean show here. That is true. And did you mention what what uh, kind of car of a podcast this is? Oh, no, I didn't. This is the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. There you go. We don't want to miss a week. We're the only ones who don't emulate the Vroom Vroom. Oh, okay. All the other shows that are part of the soon-to-be-named network, when they drop in the whatever, the the, the bumper that David made for us, they all imitate the Vroom Vroom. Okay. I don't like to do sound effects. That's Police Academy's turf, and I'm I'm not crossing that line. Right. If you're anyone but Michael Winslow, you're stealing my bit. That's right. Because enough about the aborted Police Academy reboot that I have in my head. (laughs) We have discussions of comic book stuff and the whatnots. DC has been busy uh, in the last seven days. Uh, (laughs) Kind of a follow-up on a book that we discussed over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, I don't know, maybe a big change in the life of Superman. But, you know, we'll talk. We will. Uh, we got some uh, conventions going on this weekend as the world continues to prove me wrong when I said New York's kind of the end of convention season. And these last two weeks have been like the busiest weeks in a long time. Uh, we are going to have a discussion with Todd, who went to Baltimore this past week and had a little bit different experience there than I did. Uh, we have digital sales and freebies, uh, not so many freebies, but we'll get into that as well. What we read from this past week, which feels like 100 years ago, Absolute Carnage number four and Inferior five number two. Uh, we also have Todd's Art Attack and a ton of stuff to cover in TV Talk at the very end of the show. Yes, we do. So let's get into it, Todd. Uh, you know, we've been keeping track of things. I know last week we discussed the recent change. And cancellation of that Jonah Hex omnibus, which isn't a Jonah Hex or an omnibus anymore. It's a weird Western Tales, oversized hardcover, whatever it is. And, and not- a couple weeks ago, we had talked about the new Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor, uh, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey book that was coming out alongside the movie. And I sat here and I pondered aloud to pretty much no one saying, What's going on with that Brian Azzarello one? You know, that one that was supposed to come out in September and that got canceled-ish and said, yeah, we're going to put it out alongside the movie. And then they announced another one that's going to come out alongside the movie. Right. I remember all that. Well, what they're doing is the book isn't so much as canceled, per se. (laughs) Uh, It has been the two issues that have been finalized have been made into a one shot that is going to come out before the movie. Man, Azarello Heaven. Lots of luck with those black label books. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be, a, yes, it's now going to be a black label prestige format one shot. Uh, again, coming out alongside so much more Birds of Prey, Harley Quinn stuff. 
that will be out there and so forth uh, as we head toward that Harley Quinn movie that's not called a Harley Quinn movie, but it's a Harley Quinn movie. Um, I don't know. I'm having less and less faith in this book coming out. I'm having less and less faith in the black label as we go. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to that question thing and stuff like that, but I don't know. And like I said, I'll joke aside, as I said before with Azarel, not having a lot of luck. They do this to him with the black label and then, you know, the Batman damned book, everything that went sideways with that, man, I really want to le- read a book like the behind the scenes from Azarello of what's going on at DC, because I bet he's, as he's even said on his like social media, I have a few stories to tell and like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm waiting. I don't know if we got to wait till his exclusive contracts over or what, but I'm here for the first copy. As soon as it comes out. Can you do that in 2019? Is that a thing that you could get away with? Cause usually like these days it just tweets, right? Right. But is Azarello at a point in his career where he just kind of doesn't care? Um, I don't think he's at the Brubaker point yet, mm-hmm. but if he gets there, I definitely think, I don't think it'll be a book because I don't know how many people will be clamoring to buy, you know, on the bestseller, the New York Times bestseller list, you know, Azarello's take on the black label at DC, but would it be an interview at a website or a, like a, a comic magazine? Ooh, oh, I'm or sure this of podcast. Oh, I, what if we get the exclusive? I would love to talk to Azrello. Like, you know, put put the bee in his bonnet. Send off an email. Now, I know Azrello lives in the greater Chicagoland area. Ooh. And I know he's a wrestling fan. Okay. That's all. I don't get out of my house too much, but maybe I can move some things around. We'll head up. We'll get a deep dish and rec- and record an episode uh-huh. or a, or a segment at least. Yep. Well, again, I don't know if he's that big wrestling fan. I know his wife is a big wrestling fan, Jill Thompson. Wait a minute. Jill Thompson and Azarello are married? I'm almost certain. I never knew that, if that's true. Hang on. Before yeah, you might I incriminate wanna... myself. I was going to say, you might want to do the due diligence on something like that. Do I need to make a note of this? Hang on. Oh. I was... They were married. Oh, okay. So I was close. Um, it just says they are no longer together, and they used to reside in Chicago. Right. My my intel is about three years old, so I do apologize. Well, that's everything you have is three years old. So, no, my kid's eight, and my wife is you know of a determined age. Right. Well, yeah, it's your kid, right? You did the paternity. Nah, eh, could be Stan Malibu. We don't know. <laughs> he starts putting on a little silver jacket, you know. Be that as it may. And right. then from there. Uh, so that plan is uh, all for naught, unfortunately. Uh, Brian Azzarello probably. Not at many wrestling shows these days, but if our paths do cross, I will say, anything you want to say about Black Label? I'm just going to be that blunt about it. Let's see what happens. Do you want to ladle on the label? Oh, my goodness. I think that's the way that like he would be like, you know what? You put it so eloquently. Let's mm-hmm. sit down and talk. So I look forward to these uh, to this two-issue um, prestige format being put in the next election special as an eight-page summary. Wow. Mm. We don't get enough election comic specials. No, I don't know why the election bums people out these days. Mm. Um, anywho, 
The other DC news, and I think this would be the bigger news because it made it even the New York Times, is that uh, in the upcoming Brian Michael Bendis Superman penned stories, uh, Superman is giving up his Clark Kent identity. Uh, I don't want to say something as ridiculous as Clark Kent no more, <laughs> uh, but he will reveal his secret identi- identity to the world. Has Brian Michael Bendis ever done a story like this before in his career? Well, let's take a quote from that New York Times article, Todd, mm-hmm. where Brian Michael Bendis says, I don't do fake-out stories. I did a story where Daredevil was outed, a different kind of outing, but that was his reality for 15 years. And then, quote, Bendis says that by doing this, uh, we'll bring Superman closer to being the best version of himself. And this is going to lead to thousands of new Superman stories that have never been told before. I'm reading Superman, so I'm going to give it a try. Does this like, does this have make any interest for you at all? No. Okay. So I'll let you know. Yeah, this does. I don't think this will be Superman's status quo for 15 years. I don't think so either, especially when they turn over like new, like new 52 and rebirth, like every five or six years now. So I have a feeling this is going to wrap up in about three years. I was going to, I was going to say he said 15 years. I was going to give him 15 months. Uh, All right. I don't know. This feels like they're hot shot in the territory with Superman trying really to do anything that they can to bolster. And listen, man, I'm a fan of Bendis. I like Superman. But this was a book that was just falling further and further down the to-read pile for me. Right. And, you know, we'll get to a little bit later when we go over what we're looking forward to coming out this week. And I look at Todd's massive list of books, (laughs) and, like, four of them are Superman or some sort of Superman event-related thing. Right. And I think to myself, self... I'm glad I got out while the getting was good. Oh boy! I and I'm sure the, I'm sure the stuff is great, but it's just I only have so much time in a week to do all this stuff, man. You know, I, I'd love to read everything, but I can't. I know I'm so behind on my books too, so I have to start. Uh, I have to start cut making some cuts. Right, but it, it's an interesting thought process but it feels as though we've been here before like we don't know for sure exactly how it's going to come about but i remember there was a storyline in the early 2000s maybe like around like 2003 to 2004 uh somewhere in there where superman became like this cold and whatever and like he didn't officially announce i'm no longer clark kent but he stopped being Clark Kent for a while, and they always would explain it away of whatever it is. And he like had the Superman of America, and like he had the Superman robots that were patrolling the world so that he could be everywhere at once. You know, he didn't so much say I'm Clark Clark Kent is Superman. He just went like, you know, Clark Kent's gonna go off on an adventure. He's gonna tell everybody, and that way I don't have to like work at the planet half the time and be Superman. Where this sounds like it's gonna be like straight up like, hey everybody, like take the glasses off and open the shirt and be like, I'm Clark Kent, Superman. I'm married to, to Lois Lane. Um, I don't know. It interests me in that it could be something different, 
but you know, like it doesn't blow my socks off. If they, I'm like, yes, I see where you can do some interesting things with this, but I'll see how, how it goes and how I enjoy it. Yeah. And again, I, I, you know, give it a chance. You're reading it. You could talk about it here on the show. Maybe when the solicitations come out, we get a little bit closer to the date. Maybe I'll give it a peek, but we shall see. Right. Who knows? I might be off the Superman books by then. You never know. Right. Something may happen between now and January that completely sours you on Superman. That's right. Two whole months, Joe. Anything can happen. That's right. So it was a light news week. Uh, Maybe some stuff will happen at the conventions that are this weekend, and they are many and plentiful. Uh, There is a ton of conventions going on. Uh, Just looking over the list real quick, there's a Portland Comic Expo in Portland, Oregon, where Paul Pelletier and mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago, Jeff Rogvi is going to be there. Oh, cool. Gunning for hits. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wizard World heads to Madison, Wisconsin, uh, featuring a pseudo-Smallville reunion with uh, Tom Welling, Michael Rosenbaub, Erica Durance, uh, and I don't remember Kevin Nash being on Smallville, but he's going to be at this convention as well. I think he was Doomsday. I wish he was. Oh, this, he's listen, he can't be Doomsday and Supper Shredder. Anytime Kevin Nash is at, a, at the smallest of small conventions, I will mention it in the in the conventions happening this weekend, just so you could rib me about Supper Shredder. I love Supper Shredder. Uh, There is the Suffolk County Comic and Art Expo in Suffolk County, New York. Uh, Adam Kubert, Jim Steranko, Scott Lobdell, Barry Kitson are going to be there. And then let me look at the list here, as you probably have it there as well. Uh, The SNH Comic Bash in Nashua, New Hampshire. The aforementioned Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor, and Frank Thierry. That Sorry. sounds like a party. I bet that is a party. Now, I'm torn on these next three conventions, Todd, because which to you sounds like the better trip? Okay. Uh, Eric Powell is going to be appearing at the Maui Comic-Con. Ooh, Mau- Maui and Powell? That sounds like a, a good combination. Mm-hmm. Comic-Con Paris. Ooh, ha-ha. Uh-huh. Uh, Roy Thomas, Jim Starlin, Chris Claremont, Donnie Cates, uh, Pia Guerrera, Mikel Janine, Tom Taylor, the aforementioned Brian Azzarello, Lee Brahamo, Asad Rebek, Murderer's Row of great guests there. Mm-hmm. And then MCM London has Simon Pegg, Gary Frank, Ian Churchill, Glenn Fabry, in, and in what is his Actual final last comic book appearance or comic book convention appearance, George Perez. So in in that con, you could both see George Perez for the last time at a convention and see uh, Gary Frank freshly done with Doomsday Clock. Oh, that's right. So you're weighing the level of guests and the exoticness of the locale. Right. Um, I would probably do Paris. That's a that's a chock full of guests, and I get to have a croissant in Paris. I would do Maui and skip the convention. Wow. Just go have some pineapple and sit on the beach? No no offense to Eric Powell, but I don't know. I've never been to Maui, so let's let's have some fun. 
You know, we could become the official podcast of any Hawaiian Comic Con. If, right. have if your soul. comic book convention is in a tropical location or an exotic locale with lots of nice architecture, email the show, longboxheroes at gmail.com, and uh, I'll email you my list of demands. Mm-hmm. A bagel every morning. Right. For a good bagel, not one of these uh, junk ones from Panera Bread, who's not a, a sponsor. Right. One of them lenders store-bought bagels. <laughs> Anyway, so those are the conventions this week. Uh, uh, this past week, Todd, we had Baltimore Comic Con. Unfortunately, uh, due to traffic, my schedule, and so forth, we didn't cross paths. We were both only there for the one day. But you had much more adventurous times than me because uh, you weren't lugging around an eight-year-old. Yes, true. I um, got there late, too, due to traffic. And with the Boston Marathon this weekend and construction, it had the roads messed up for me. So I did get there a, a little late. But uh, I got there. I walked the, the whole, you know, show floor, uh, got the lay of the land, you know, went around seeing who was where and what was going on. And then once I got my bearings, I went around. I ended up talking with, uh, you know who Gerhard is? The guy who did the backgrounds for Dave Sim on uh, – on Cerebus for 300. Well, he didn't do all 300 issues, but he did uh, most of them. He was there and I stopped and I met him. And my favorite part is like, Oh, you have some Cerebus art. And he's like, yes. He's like, are you a Cerebus fan? I'm like, yeah. He goes, did you read it? And I go, yep. All 300 issues. And he goes, hold on. I'm talking with somebody else, but you don't get to leave. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right. So I'm talking to his wife and everything. And I'm going, and I'm like, Oh, you know what? He's busy. And you know, I don't want to bother. She's like, no, no, you can't leave. You got to wait for a minute. And, um, I ended up, uh, I'm like, all right. So he goes, here you go. And he ends up having this little card. He has a card printed up. That's a metal that says Cerebus. And then has like the thing hanging from the ribbon that says 300 with two swords crossing. I'll be tweeting out the picture later of it. And he signed it and he said, anybody who could make it through the last couple issues of Cerebus <laughs> deserves a medal. So I hand these out at, sh at shows to people who say they read the 300 and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to badmouth Cerebus, but yeah, he's right. Those, the last like 80 issues were like, were padded and crazy and everything, but he had a good, you know, a good laugh about it. We talked about how, you know, what a good guy Dave Sim was. And I had met him at New York years ago and Gerhardt, you know, had a, had a great sense of humor. And we talked about his days at Cerebus, you know, like how it would just be like a, an assembly line of art from Dave to, to Gerhardt. So he could do the backgrounds and back then, you know, uh, Dave Sim, like if you called Aardvark studios, like Dave answered the phone. Like you, if you were going to order trade paperbacks, you would be before, like they were, at diamond and stuff like that you he would he would answer the phone and send them out to you so it's like that was really like the the origins of like you know small press and everything like that so i found that like extremely fun and stuff like that um i almost got i also got to talk to allison sone i don't know how to say her last name she's uh adam hughes's wife um and we we were because they had a line and they have a signing times and they also have uh quick sketches for like 50 bucks they do head sketches and they they do them more elaborate now because the price has gone up and we ended up having a, a an in-depth conversation about um 
art flipping and stuff like that because of the problems they had years ago and how I really feel bad for, for them because they get a bad rap because, you know, Kevin or Kevin, uh, Adam's commissions, they go for a lot of money, like thousands of dollars. If you want to go to show and people are like, well, we've supported you. And she's like, yeah, I know. Like I'm trying to do the best of both worlds, but then I do these. So we do these $50 head sketches and then like Adam puts more into them and sometimes he'll do a little bit of color and everything. So they're genuinely trying to make everything, you know, like, uh, good for the fans, like have all options. And it's, and it's just always, I feel bad for them because they're, they're so in demand that we discussed that, like, no matter what they do, they, they did it right if you get some art, but they did it wrong if somebody, you know, the line gets capped and they don't get it. So they're always in a no-win situation. And that really, like, was was a fun thing to talk about. Like, not a fun thing, but an interesting thing. Like, the, the different ways that they tried over the years. They tried the line at the beginning when the, the art was cheap. And then it, it got, you know, blown out of proportion because uh, of the flippers. And they're like, well, we can't do that anymore, so we're going to do this and, you know, try it a different way. And then we stopped because people were flipping. And she's, and she's like, people people think I'm a, 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 you know, a raging monster sometimes. She goes, but you don't realize with like some there's good fans but the bad ones like ruin it for everybody and i ended up talking about like yeah i was at new york for one time and i saw like what you guys have to put up with i saw entitled fans like yelling at you and i'm like i get it i'm like do what you got to do because in the end you know you you get paid without the hassle and and that's uh, you know i always i always love it even though art is getting harder to get i completely you know understand what they're doing so that was that was interesting now Um, did you get a chance to uh ask them about the adam hughes book from dc oh you know what i should have that completely slipped my mind because i'm on you know on the run and i got there like like i said late so i didn't have all the hours in a day and uh because i had to come back for a birthday i only had one day to do stuff but i i I really should have but i was there when they ended up getting somebody got one of those uh signature series uh things from cgc mm-hmm. and i got to see the new the newfangled bags and how they the tamper proof bags and how they do all that and it was kind of interesting because somebody somebody got it and they end up having like a thing that they fill out all the information and uh they put it in it's like all right so they say that this is officially like an an adam hughes sketch and you know and the 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 witness sign, signs the thing and says when it was dated and when it thing and then seals the bag and the only way to open it i guess is to destroy it because i didn't ask about that part but then that way the witness doesn't have to take the book to the cgc booth uh because he signed it and he puts it in his little archive you could take it to the booth and go like here it was witnessed by this person and it gives a chance for the witnesses to move faster, if that makes any sense, Joe. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. Like, they don't have to go to the booth and check it in. You can go wait in line and do that. So that was fascinating to see because I know neither of us are big CGC guys, but it was interesting to see how they were changing up stuff to try and make it work. But in the end, um, I talked to a few people who were there Sunday, and uh, they over like CGC overbooked. Like stuff like on-site grading is great, but a lot of people were told, yeah, we're not going to be able to get to your book. So we're going to have to have them shipped to you. And then I found out 
that like that comes out of your end. You have to pay for the shipping. But Oof. the whole point is I'm here for on-site grading, so I don't have to ship it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. I, and from what I heard, it wasn't a few books, it was a lot. And I ended up talking with the, this person. I'm like, well, they got you. They got you because the people who want CGC signatures and stuff, they need that stuff. It's almost like, and I, I don't want to put it this way, almost like an addiction. So mm-hmm. they're not going to turn you down. So they can over, take overflow. And they're like, oh, well, we didn't get it. Do you want it back and not have it signature series or CGC? Well, it's already here. I guess I'll just pay for the shipping. You know what I mean? Like they really have you in a bind. So I just found that like, I don't know, that practice turned me off, but they did get through a lot of books, but you know, there was from what I heard from somebody was, there was a few people complaining loudly at the booth. So I hope they can, you know, like, you know, figure that kind of stuff out and not overbook if that's anything. I'm trying to think like what else I did. I ended up getting a, hopefully in the near future, we have a new bumper for the show next week. That'll probably premiere. Yes. Yes. Well, let's uh, in the near future, the near future. Oh, that is true. I don't want to push you. Um, I got to talk to Jeff Lemire a little bit about, uh, he was on our show in the past and he remembered us. Oh, look at that. And he said, keep reading inferior five. Uh, you know, the rocket reds will be there soon enough for me. Oh, Um, good. I'm glad you got a chance to ask. I know every time I see him, I I, I get to ask him. And uh, but he was busy, and he was near the Adam Hughes line, which was for like sketches and stuff. So it was a packed house, and like you know, crossing over and stuff like that. And I and I just want to say, like Baltimore, still to this day, is still my favorite con. Like I went Friday, so it wasn't packed. But they're literally, I just want to say that it is one of the like more laid back shows. Now, Saturday is like a different animal because you have families and a lot of people running around. But like the Friday of the show, it just feels so good to walk the floor and you can interact with people. And like, yes, they are very busy doing like sketches or signing stuff. But I don't know. It's just, I love Baltimore. It is a different animal for uh comic cons and like all the boots i got to i didn't get to do much shopping but i did grab one or two presents for christmas for people that i don't want to say in case they're listening but i had a really good time at uh baltimore this year so todd did a little extra work for the show while he was there as well because now we're going to go to his interview with star of legends of tomorrow jonah hex himself jonathan shack Hi, I'm here with uh, Jonathan Sheck, actor extraordinaire, plays Jonah Hex on Legends of Tomorrow and many other parts. Uh, thank you for the time for allowing me to interview. Um, where did you get into the acting part? Where did it start with you? Well, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Oh. Where we are, we're at. We're yes. in Baltimore, Maryland. And I went to UMBC and I took one acting class at UMBC. And I told myself, I could probably do this as opposed to those textbooks that were so problematic for me. Right, right. Uh, uh, well, that's a better job than, you know, digging ditches, I guess. You know? I was doing that when I was in Edgewood. Oh, really? Yeah. I worked in a quarry for a while, so I feel your pain. Oh, you know man, what I mean? Oh, tough. it sucks. Working out in the hot, hot sun. You'd rather get the craft service table, I bet. Um, <laughs> uh, so you get into it. Uh, what was, like, the first part that you had? Was it a, a smaller or a larger part? Uh, this was the first part I ever did. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, it was a uh, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Fallen Angels, and uh, I got cast as this boxer and small part. We didn't have any 
uh, significance in the piece. And then I just kept working, you know, eventually got a big movie, How to Make an American Quilt, and then uh, Doom Generation with Greg Araki. Mm-hmm. And from there, I got That Thing You Do. And then I just was a movie star for a while. Right. And now I know you're playing Jonah Hex in Legends of Tomorrow, and you've been on a couple of seasons uh, here and there. Um, when you auditioned for the part and stuff like that, did you do any research on it? Did you read any of the comics? Oh, I love Jonah Hex. Oh, really? Was, yeah. Um, these are my comics. Oh, cool. These guys back in the day. So I had a lot of the comic books. Oh, so you were a fan beforehand? Yeah, I was a fan before. So you read comics? I really love Sergeant Rock and Jonah Hex. Those are my two favorites. Really? So you play one of my favorites. That's fantastic because a lot of people aren't into the to the Western and the and the old uh, the the World War II comics, but I love all of them. Yeah, me too. um, And as Jonah Hex, like with the the prosthetics, like is that a CGI or is that like actual prosthetic? So the prosthetic three three hours. Three hours. Yep. Got it down the half hour. How, is it hard to like talk in it? Like, like yeah, is it? It's a, it's a, it's not hard to talk. It's the character has a, a gruff to him anyway, so it kind right. of fits. I do, I do like that. I do that you capture the the gruff, but the funniness because you had some comedy in the yeah. well, in the, the comics. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, oh, I love the show. I love the episode. We always joke that like they have the the, the, the best wig work in the history of yeah. like TV. Yeah. They do, and uh, we always joke that the guy who plays Mick Rory, they give him, like, these tiny hats. We, it's a personal joke that we do, that we love. We're wondering if, like, they go out of their way, because he always seems to stand out whatever part he does, because he's the, the comic relief, you know what I mean? It's pretty great. He is. The whole the, the whole feel of the show is great compared pretty to, like, awesome. what it is. And um, I just, one last question. We're looking forward to the Infinite Crisis that's coming up. I know you're in that. I know you can't talk much about it, but I look forward to your appearance on the show. Good, man. Thank you very much for you. So, Todd, thank you very much for taking the time out. I know he was on your list of people that you definitely wanted to get a chance to interact with, and I'm glad you got a little something with him for the show. Yeah, they were moving people through. He was at the autograph booth, and he had a lot of – you know, people coming to see him. So I didn't want to take up too much of his time. So I wanted to get in and out because, you know, he's there to to press the flesh. So good for him, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad you got the uh, questions in about the wigs and the hats. That was the most important thing. That was just for you, Joe. I had to slide them in there, you know, seamlessly. Well, it was not the satisfactory answer that I would have wanted. At least now someone of the cast is going to go back and say, you know, I was at Baltimore, I had the strangest question. And now he'll, maybe he'll now never be able to unsee it like we're never unable to unsee it. True. And maybe everything will change. Hopefully not. I, I was going to say, I don't want it to change. I want the hats to get smaller and the wigs to get better. You saw me doing finger quotes when I said better there. I felt it come through the computer. Right. So uh, all the links again, Todd, thank you very much for getting that interview. And uh, I think we're going to get into a little bit more of your adventures in Baltimore when we get to the uh, Todd's art attack here as well. Uh, but the links to all of these conventions this weekend are in the show notes along with link to soon to be named network at soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com or anytime any of the shows in our network like-minded individual friends etc uh goes up on their respective sites or they go on some other podcast and they remind me it, it goes up here at soon to be named network.com soon to be named network.tumblr.com whether it be this show long box heroes long box heroes after dark 
which we're doing the 10th installment of Al's Gals discussing the William Cat Festival of Jammies, I guess, in Greatest American <laughs> Hero and the uh, ill-fated spin-off attempt Greatest American Heroine. Eh, less a spin-off, more of a reboot before reboots were really a thing. Uh, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, At Odds with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Wednesday Night War Podcast. I think I'm going to be on Final Wrestling Place in the near future. Uh, I'm going to have to work that out with Marcus and Tim when I see them this weekend for the Let's Hang Out event in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, wrestling event. Uh, I have it on good authority. There are people coming from Baltimore, from Virginia, from upstate New York, from Ohio, from all over the place coming to this show. It is the hot place to be in Bethlehem for professional wrestling uh, this week. Do I have to go? You do what you want. Oh, okay. You do what you want, sir. Right. Right. Uh, but all that information, like I said, will be at soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Digital sales and freebies this week. Uh, sadly, I think the days of freebies are winding down. Uh, Marvel hasn't been updating the list in like three weeks, and I went searching and searching and searching, and there hasn't been really anything new on there outside of some few odds and ends here. Um, you know, DC on their separate site put up their free comic book day stuff from 2018. None, none of the free comic book day stuff from 2019 went up. So the reins are getting a little tighter. Do with that what you will. Uh, but you can always get, uh, partake in some of the sales that are going on. Uh, the DC on TV sale, the DC Joker sale still going on. And it is the Halloween months. So Dynamite and IDW are having sales on their horror and horror-related stuff. And Marvel is having a little mini sale on Mary Jane stuff. Mary Jane Watson, the better half of the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, so it's a ton of Amazing Spider-Man stuff included in this. And uh, for something a little bit different, there is a... It's kind of done in the manga style, I guess because it's less superhero stuff and more romancy stuff, uh, entitled Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. Uh, these came out in, I would say, the mid-2000s, maybe? Um, Sean McKeever did some. Terry Moore did some. Very interesting, very early kind of in the, the line of doing some young adult stuff over at uh, Marvel, trying to get that crowd, you know, the, mm -hmm. the manga romance crowd. So check that stuff out. If you're looking for something a little bit different and you got like a digital hole, like you got some digital money burning a digital hole in your digital pocket. Sounds like a plan. And like I said, all the links to all those stuff and the ever dwindling list of free comic books available uh, is also in the show notes for this episode. So, Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin? I think we should start with uh, Inferior 5, uh, plot and story by Keith Giffen and Jeff Lemire, and art by Keith Giffen. Uh, this is a continuation story of the, you know, in the invasion from the 80s at DC, uh, that, like, continuity um and they're in a small town called dangerfield arizona and it's uh these five children who are all have who have uh 
who have interacted with the invasion at some point, and they're the only ones who see that there's weird things going on in the town. And the one character who's the fifth member of the Inferior Five who just showed up, his name is Justin, and his mother is missing. And now he's starting to meet the other uh, members of the Inferior Five, like Lisa. And we end up finding something about one of the other ones that's, you know, that they have powers. And uh, another child who's who's running around, we find out he has the power to take over bodies and stuff like that. I'm a little confused by what's going on in the story, but I'm hoping by the end of the 12 issues, it's all going to make sense. But right now we're in that, like everything's going on and we're finding out as the Justin, the main character is, is finding out stuff and getting information. So, so I get that, but uh, I just hope that we get more answers soon. And like we said last time with the issue, number one, this is for more, more like for people who read, this era of comics back in the eighties. And it's, so it's more niche, but I'm still enjoying it. And, but I did like the, uh, back the co-feature, uh, much better. Second feature, but yes. Right. Second. Um, feature. so I liked it. I like Jeff Lemire, like Salta Keith. Uh, and I, I kind of echo your sentiments regarding this book. The first issue was infinitely more readable than the second issue. Right. If for some chance you decided to pick this book up on the second issue right. of a 12-issue maxi-series, you might have a little uh, more... You need a little bit more explaining here. You have an uphill climb. Right. They kind of laid the groundwork of everything that you need to know up to this point here. And, you know, you get the stuff with the Dominators, of course, kind of more so in the shadows. Less of those. And I really enjoyed... Uh, not seeing them as much here made me realize how much I missed the characterization of the Dominators in the previous issue, mm-hmm. where they were kind of like jokey with each other a little bit almost. Right, that Keith Giffen style. Yeah, yeah. And this issue, even like looking at the cover, feels a more Keith art style than a Jeff Lemire art style. Of course, Jeff does uh, the the second feature, and Keith does the main book. Uh, for the art, and it's starting to it's starting to become more Keith like. Yes, it is very Keith heavy. Yes, but the second feature was really good. Um, I, I like to see where that's going. the The two stories have not intersected yet, but I but feel they, they certainly will. are on track to do so. It's like train A is traveling this way toward the station, and train B is traveling this way toward the station, and I'm guessing they're going to meet probably at the end of issue six. If any right. good storytelling is to be done here. Right. That'll be the cliffhanger for the first half of the trade paperbacks. Yes. But uh, basically the, the, the Becca, the co-feature is, uh, is the, the history of the peacemaker's helmet, like how it kind of, you know, he hears voices and stuff like that, which I remember is the way it was back then. So I find that completely interesting. So I'm looking forward to more. Right, so the uh, other book that I think that we both read was uh, Absolute Carnage number four, written by Donny Cates with art by Ryan Stegman. Now, this is the thing I want to notice, that um, Stegman is getting like a co-writing feature on this, which is pretty interesting. I know a lot of the early interviews while this was being announced uh, had that, you know, this was just as much uh, Ryan Stegman's doing excuse me, as it was Donnie Kate. So I'm kind of 
cool with them given, you know, the artist as much credit in a story of this kind of magnitude. Right. And and I say magnitude, of course. We left the previous issue with uh, the Hulk being possessed by the Venom symbiote, like the the Venom symbiote, not like a Venom symbiote like everyone else is. Right. And this is more of a knockdowny drag out fight with everything. A lot more of Eddie Brock attempting to realize his potential uh, without being Venom, of course. And a lot more of Cletus and Carnage, of course, becoming the big giant null god that he is. Mm-hmm. And they do a much better job of it in the comics. I, I only mention this, of course. Because in my beloved Marvel Puzzle Quest game, they just officially announced that this Carnage is going to be in the game. Mm-hmm. And the way that they do the design of the game, like the, the picture that they showed for the debut of him, really accentuates on how skeletal he is. Right, there's a shot or two in the book that does yeah, that. Yeah, like... yeah, and I'm like, I don't like the way this looks on the like on the game, because I, I don't feel it's as in-your-face in the comic book. And as I'm, peru- like, everyone's, like, sending me, like, a, here it is on this cover, and here it is on that cover. And I'm like, oh, spoilers, joking around, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's the, you know, second to la- it's the second to last chapter. It's a fight between, like, evil Spider-Men. So, you know, if that's not your thing, it ain't your thing in issue four. It ain't gonna be your thing in issue five. Right, right. Um, like I said, I, it's... I'm following along because it's, you know, Donny Cates and everything that's going on with him, I think, is all going to wrap up. This is a story to me. I thought it was interesting to see uh, Eddie Brock fighting without the symbiote and, like, what he, he – like, the things he picks up along the way to, to like, take it to the battle and everything. It, it, it was it was interesting. But, like I said, I get a little confused on, like, all, like, well, this was the lethal protectors and this was – and I'm like, all right, you're, you're – you're over my head. But one of the one things that interesting that I found interesting that I heard at the shop, and I don't know if you had heard this, is that um, remember how X Men I had I tweeted out that they had the cards with like the team books that are coming out and the rosters on the back, and then they had the one translation card, which I guess was the the islands the island language or whatever that they spoke. Um, somebody said that that language might be the same language from our older Donny Cates issues with the with with Null, the the symbiote god, is that he's speaking the same language. So if that's true, I want to go back and look at the cards and see if it if it works out. Because I think that would be an I just heard that the other day at the shop and I'm like, oh I have to tell Joe about this. Um but it would not be beyond the you know my beyond my belief that they are combining all this. You know what I mean? That would be very interesting. And I never really get into when they do those alternate language things. I know they would do it a lot in, like, Superman stuff when they would do Kryptonian. Right. But they would give you, in the back of said issue where there was a bunch of Kryptonian spoken. Right. They would give you, like, the the key for it. Like, this means this and that means that. I know we had gotten some stuff, I guess, what was it, with the uh, X-Men books recently? Right. That's just talking about the cards. Yeah, well, when you said the cards, I'm like, oh, he must be in those X-Men cards. So you're saying that that secret language that um, uh, that Jonathan Hickman made up for the X-Men is not made up? It was actually pre-established? Well, maybe it was, but I'm saying it works for both. Ah, that's, interesting. That, that's what I'm hearing, 
but I have to sit down and actually dig out those old Venom issues right. and check what Null was saying with the with stuff. But maybe it, like that has something to do with it's the crack. I don't know what the, what the island is that in the X-Men is called. I want to say Krakatoa, but it's not because that's the real island. Right. It's uh, Krakoa. Krakoa. That's the language, I guess. Mm, and maybe, interesting. And I'm like, so I, I would not put it past. And then it's it's one of those things that when they do the language and they go like, yeah, he was speaking it all the time. Just use those cards and we don't have to make up a different language. You know what I mean? Like save some money there. <laughs> hmm. If I if I had more time on my hands, I'd be all over that. That's like a that's a Joe project if there ever was one. That sounds like a, a Joe CD project. Yes. Oh, boy. Uh, well, that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're reading this week, or looking forward to this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you're getting your books in print, whether you're getting them digitally, whether you're getting them sent to your home, however it is that you get any books, be forewarned, be forearmed, be prepared for what's coming out. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd is in the lead over me with six correct guesses. I'm looking. Uh, you, I have no. 30. That's nine correct guesses. Oh boy. Uh, I don't know. I'm looking at seven. My uh, man. It's been a long day. Okay. It's twenty six to thirty three, and my math is correct now in saying that you have seven over me. Yeah, but you nail. Uh, actresses uh, math early before but different show so you're getting tired I guess yeah it's been a long day um, so Todd has an enormous list this week it really could be anything is that Swamp Thing giant new material or old material that is the uh, Walmart like giants of new material with a new Mark Russell Swamp Thing story I'm going to say that's what you're looking forward to this week. It actually is. I'm looking forward to read the story. And do you know why, Joe? Listen to this. The name, the title of the story with Swamp Thing is The Beat, B-E-E-T, Goes On. Yeah? That's great, isn't it? The Beat Goes On. So he knows what I like. So I'm looking forward to that. Is the next one going to be called We've Got the Beat? Oh, oh, maybe, maybe. Is it just a series of beat puns? That would, I don't know. Maybe mostly just vegetable puns. We'll see. But I'm looking over your list, and you have a much smaller list this week, Joe. That's true, Todd. Is the book, because here's the problem I have now, and I know you're going you're gonna to poker face me. You have Criminal and Immortal Hulk coming out in the same week. That, sir, I, do. I do have those two books coming out in the same week. That is a coin flip, sir. But I'm going to go. I'm going to be smooth about it, and I'm going to go criminal. You are correct. Right. Smooth criminal, baby. Uh, it could have just as easily on any other week have been um, the King Thor. It could have been Second Coming. Uh, criminal, of course. Immortal Hulk. And even though Immortal Hulk is like the end of a big giant storyline, you know, like a five ninety nine er, it's a five ninety nine er. 
So mm-hmm. Criminal is going to be an easier, quicker read at the very least. A 399er. Right, a 399er is quicker than a 599er. So that's the one I'm most looking forward At least that's the one my pocket is more looking forward to this week. There you go. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, uh, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, the 2017 smash sensation, Todd and Joe Have Issues. Of course, you can always help us out by purchasing things through our store, uh, whether it be uh, pins or stickers or shirts. If you like any of those in that store and you really want them and buy them, you know, you could just maybe... Send me an email or a text or a direct message, however you can get in touch with me, and maybe I'll bring them with you, with myself to uh, Sokol's in Bethlehem this Friday if you're going to be there. If you are so inclined, also you can go to our T Public store where you can buy more versions of that shirt, shirts inspired by soon-to-be-named network, shirts inspired by At Odds With Wrestling, and shirts also inspired by dumb things that we say on all of these shows. Dumb things. Well, great things. There you go. I was uh, lamenting to my wife from our After Dark discussion last week how all the Long John Silvers is, is in our area are drying up. Don't don't bestow my heart. And so and surprisingly, she was more concerned about how few uh, Carvels there are. That is that is a problem. And it's concerning, but yes, we don't have a parody Carvel shirt. We do have a parody uh, Long John Silver shirt. Homage. Uh, an opportunity. Uh, <laughs> yes. Some sort of legalese that I gotta get myself out of here. That's true. Uh, you can also sign up for our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You're gonna get some of our back catalog, some of the podcasts that myself, Todd, and our good buddy DJ, who now does Wednesday Night Wars, did some ten years ago. Those usually go up on Thursday-ish to kind of coincide with their actual day and date from 10 years ago. And also you're going to get after dark two days before everyone else. If you were at the $5 level, another way that you can help us out, of course, with no extra money out of your pocket. Hey man, times are tough all around. There's Patreons for everyone and everything out there or GoFundMe or a Kickstarter, what have you, but everyone needs to purchase everything else in the world. And you could do so through our Amazon click-through across the top of the page. Does not cost you anything extra. Gives us a little bit of a kickback uh, called an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. Cha-ching. Some of the notable purchases to the Amazon click-through this past week were uh, somebody purchased something called John Wesley Harding's Greatest Other People's Hits. Which is very interesting. It, it sounds very interesting. It looks like it might. I don't know who John Wesley Harding is. Hopefully, the person who purchased this will enlighten me. But it looks like it, he might be doing an album of covers for someone, or at least Afghans. Yes. Mm. Uh, somebody also purchased something called the Innkeepers uh, on Blu-ray. Somebody also purchased uh, Watchmen Volume One, Two, and Three, music from the HBO series. And somebody also purchased a GoPro Hero 7 uh, with the Adventure Kit Essential Bundle and the Service Plan. My ultimate kudos to you, kind listener, for purchasing that one. That's right. I agree. Uh, Todd, we have uh, Art Attack this week, and I think this is going to dip a little bit more into the Baltimore adventure that you had. Yes? Yes, yes. But first, I'll start with someone... 
uh, who who contributed. Uh, T Bolt Seven Twelve, one of you know the guy you'd like to rob, as I always say. That's true. Hey, hey Todd's Art Attack. I'm so excited to share this Indiana Jones sketch card I got this weekend. Obviously from Baltimore, apparently from Adam Hughes. I am not exaggerating by saying it is a dream come true. Big, big thanks to both Adam and Mrs. Adam Hughes. And uh, apparently they made these sketch cards, I guess, that, you know, that have Indiana Jones written on them and everything. And he ended up doing a beautiful job of doing, a, you know, a Harrison Ford profile. And he really went to town with, like, not a colored pens, but, like, the way he shaded it and the – the the fedora is two different colors and he even gave the indie scruff and everything. I could almost hear the Indiana Jones punch sound effect when I'm looking at it, Joe. Very it deep. is, and again, we, we talk about this all the time when we do these art attacks, and you could tell a lot of love went into this when you look at that line work. He was he, using d- multiple different pens and pencils or what have you to create that. That is not something just kind of wheeled off in a factory and done in a few seconds. No. And I know for a fact that Adam Hughes is a huge Indiana Jones fan. So that probably helps out. You know what I mean? Like the love for the character where like he probably drew, you know, Wonder Woman a thousand times that weekend, but Indiana Jones, not so much. Yeah. And Hey, that's a good point. That's probably something that we've talked about on the show before at the very least. Uh, at some point, many, many moons ago, if you're going to a convention and you're going to get something from, you know, an artist that you like, do a little scraping underneath the surface to see who the artist you're going to's favorite character or characters are. Because typically it may not be, as Todd mentioned, Adam Hughes's favorite character may not be Wonder Woman. Um, You know, I'm sure he likes drawing Wonder Woman, but giving them a character they don't draw all the time and it's a character that they like personally, you'll probably get a little bit better of a sketch. Mm-hmm. Which actually leads me to my art attack. Oh. Cause I'm going to like, I'm going to segue seamlessly Joe um, from this weekend. I, I got uh, from Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. I got a Jonah hex that he did, but this was out of his pro- portfolio of pre-done stuff. So I was like, okay, cause I'm looking forward to, for, uh, to, I'm looking to get something by all the truly great Jonah Hex artists that I can hang on my wall. And it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. I'm looking for like, you know, a bigger piece, but I'm like, I'm going to take what I can get and I, I'm, I'm happy and I, and I love my piece. It's beautiful. So I bought that. And then we were talking and he ended up having room on his sketch list for something else. And he's like, well, what, what do you want? And I'm like, I want, Jonah Hex has only had like two or three recurring villains because he usually shoots them in the face. So they're done. So one of the villains that uh, Jose created was Papagayo, El Papagayo, which means the parrot. And he ends up, he has a parrot on his shoulder and everything. And I'm like, oh, well, I want to get El Papagayo. And he looks at me, he's like, El Papagayo. And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, you know, he has the mustache. Like, And I did it wrong. I said he had the handlebar mustache instead of the, like, you know, the, the down. He's like, no, 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 it's wrong. He has that kind of mustache. And he's like, and somebody brought up reference on their phone. And I'm like, he's like, see, you're wrong. And I'm like, you're right. And I'm like, you remember him? He's like, he's like, I created my drew him a couple of times. Yeah, I, I really remember him. He's like, you really want El Papagayo? And I said, yeah. He goes, it would be El Papagayo. He's, he joked without the El Papagayo. I mean, he's like, because if I put the parrot on the shoulder, 
it gets in the way. You know what I mean? Like I can't do the head sketch. He's like, I'm like, you do what you want to do. And he ends up and he's like smiling and he's like drawn. Right. And he keeps doing the sketch and he had it in the, in the art, like tablet board that he has and he rips it out and he's, and he looks like he's going to give it to me. And he's like, nah, nah. And he's like going more and more and more and more. And I look down and he's like shading and he's doing this. And like the, the, the do rag that, that El Papagayo is wearing. He's like, Oh, let me add like spots to it. And I'm adding this and the, the cigarette and he's like just going and he's having a, a giddy time. And I'm like, well, like he gets done. And he's like here. And I'm like, thank you. But like, this looks like a really detail. Like he, he puts a lot of detail into the regular sketch. I'm like, but like you did a, a, an amazing job on this. And he looks at me and I know where to lie. It was the quote that I used for like the rest of the day is he's like, because no one asks for El Papagayo, <laughs> he goes, right? And he's like, and I love the, I created the character and he told me a story how he argued with the writer of the story because he felt that, that the, the costume should be a little different and they had, you know, discussions over what it should be. And he was like, I think he should be more of a, looking more of a, and he said a, uh, a nasty word in Spanish. And he's like, do you know what that means? And I'm like, eh, I kind of have an idea. And I thought it was a, dirty woman was with ah, yes and he's like no no it means a son of a dog if you know what i mean but it was funny to hear jose and each time he said the, the 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 mexican word and the son of a dog you know and i'm being polite here he he would be like so anyway the word means son of a dog and i'm like we're at a con and it's only me you and another guy and the other guy is helping you out at your table we're gonna be okay but it was funny that he kept like dipping his voice to be polite and everything but he was just so happy i think i mean i wouldn't say i would never put words in his mouth but like over this weekend that he's having he's probably gonna draw three wonder womans and three jokers and three batmans or how many sketches he does like three or four sketches a day but over the course of the year he does batman and just the line of him smiling saying no one with like the finger wag ass for El Papagayo. I was like, fantastic. So I was over the moon. I'm over the moon. And But my one friend did ask me, he goes, oh, but if they do, he has ever in his pre-made portfolio, super big 11 by 17, like break the bank pieces of each of these characters. I'm like, oh, I'm buying more. Anytime I go to a show and he has pre-done Jonah Hex stuff, I'm just buying it. So he was laughing. He goes, you can never scratch that itch with Jonah Hex. And I'm like, nope, never can. So, and I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, listeners may be unfamiliar with uh, Jose Garcia Lopez. Uh, if you're familiar with the DC style guide from the 70s, yep, that's him. Yep. Um, you know, he was the guy who kind of created, like, anytime that you see DC merchandise today that has that kind of throwback look of those characters more than likely it was drawn and designed and given out to all the other artists at DC and to say, you make Superman look like this. You make Batman look like this. You make the Joker look like this. And he is such a versatile artist. Again, you're lo- like, you said that Jonah Hex piece was just something that he had in his like pre-made binder of stuff, right? Right. Yes. That's remarkable. That's unbelievable. It and the, the 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 El Papagayo, you said he did that for you there. Yes. Uh, again, yeah. I couldn't draw that if I had the rest of my life to look that good. 
I couldn't either. And somebody put up online that he had a Superman in the portfolio, but it was inked and it was a bust, let's say a bust or a waste up. And it had like Metropolis in the background, pen, pen and ink, right? Pencil and ink. And my, the, the person who saw it, he's like, oh, so you got a, a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez piece too. I said, yeah, because I saw the Superman one. And he goes, you know what the best way to describe when I see him, Jose draw a character, it looks right. It looks more right than if anybody else does it. And as you said, it comes into the style guides, how he, like you said, he, if you saw merchandise from the late seventies, probably into the two thousands, it was all his art. Now you see a little more Jim Lee and stuff, but he was the guy and those style guides, there's a petition to have DC just print those up. Do you know how many people would buy those, those guides? Yep. I would buy them. I would buy them too. And like I said, anytime I go to a show and Jose is there, I did not honestly know about his pre-done pieces. But the and I'm and I'm not knocking the price of the El Papagayo was the same price as the pre-done pen and ink Jonah. His pre-done stuff, which he has all the time to do, all the time to burn at home and do them and bring to the show, he gives them away for way too little money. I and I and but he loves the fans. And like I said, you know, I just, I'm going to like, I'm going to peruse his portfolio anytime I see him because he's just, the art's too good for too good a price. And he's such, such a sweet guy, Joe, such a nice, nice guy. I just can't stop gushing over Jose. So I'll stop now. So, yeah, you know, we always try to mention whenever he pops up at a convention, of course, you know, uh, less for the rib of supper shredder with Kevin Nash and more so for, uh, you know, someone that we're both fans of. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Todd, I guess, had a really cool experience with uh, Mr. Garcia Lopez this past weekend. Hopefully, uh, when we see his name pop up at a convention again and you're in town, that'll maybe entice you to go check out his stuff and tell him that you heard about it here on uh, this show. I hope uh, we can bring him back. He was at our local shop uh, years ago. I'd love to see him come back and maybe, you know, we. I went out to dinner with him back then. I'd love to to do that again. So, Jose, if you're listening, come to Scranton. You'll be treated like a king. Or at the very least, like a prince. Yes. So I think that's all we got for the main show before we get into some TV talk. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I believe so. I think that's everything. Okay, so let's get into The Flash from this past week. So this, you know, we talked last season about The Flash and how there's episodes where it kind of sort of of feels like Barry's not the main story. He's not the A story, yes. Barry's not the A story. I think he was kind of like the B minus story. Right. uh, Of this week's episode. Uh, There was a lot more going on in regards to Cecile. This was like almost like a Cecile episode more than anything else. Yes, Barry was trying to figure out all the stuff about the timeline moving up of the crisis thing where he disappears. So he goes to the different timeline um, to meet up with, uh, what's his face? What's um, Jay Garrick and uh, his wife in this timeline, even though it isn't. Barry's mom she looks like Barry's mom and that sort of thing and during his travels he gets cut so he gets like laid up in bed so it's like a perfect reason for like Flash not to do a bunch of stuff in this episode right but he does see the big stuff in that he sees that 
he like that famous scene from Crisis on Infinite Earths where he gets just like uh, dissolved while running. Yeah. And he also sees the antimatter wave coming to the our Earth. So like that's like the the premonitions of Crisis on Infinite Earths. That so that that's important, but like you said, it's not the main story. Right. And we get a little bit more of the relationship with Cisco and the new girlfriend, the photographer. We get a little bit more with Caitlin, a little bit more with Ralph. So like they're off doing their own thing. But like to, like it felt as though Cecile's stuff was the A story this week. With right. the new villain and the this the the cousin or whatever it was. And I don't know, if I didn't know any better, if I wasn't doing a monthly show about them trying to backdoor pilots on stuff, right? this certainly would have been felt like this would have been the Cecile spin-off show that they were trying to do. Next week, the premiere of the Cecile, you know, like TV show or whatever. Like, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I feel like they want to do her as a, what is she going to be, a public defender now or something? Yeah, she's, so she, she uses her powers and it's a whole thing. And again, I forget what the the villain's name actually is. I, they're a takeoff of the character Wavelength, I think, so. Right, right, right. So, um, cause they never like Cisco's not there to give her the superhero name. Right. Right. So that's why we never get it. And I'm trying to place to myself who she is in like actual flash continuity. So again, yes. Wavelength. So she has the power where she has the control over the radio waves, the murder that she's at the scene of, but Cecile's power leads her to know that she didn't do it. Right. So now Cecile is trying to, plead to this wolf, this girl who's kind of like a bad girl kind of giving Cecile some lip and it's it turns out that she got these powers the the day the particle accelerator thing happened you know remember that five years ago yep we're still finding more and more people that had powers from the particle accelerator explosion and it turns out that she was like being beaten out of a gang that her relative was in but her relative ended up being pronounced dead but she got the same powers and now she's going around as kind of like Ultimate Electra looked in the Marvel comic books with like the weird red mask. Yep. Um, and then it turns out that Wavelength decides she wanted to, she always wanted to be like a journalist or whatever it is. But where I'm going with this is Cecile decides that the superhero, the metas, if you will, don't get the same level of justice or representation that regular folks do. So that's right. what she's deciding to do, becoming like the public defender for metahumans. And with her powers, she could fight for the ones who really deserve it. Right. Which kind of gives her like an easy out on like, no, I'm not taking this one, you know? So it takes yeah, like, out a lot of the real legwork that she has to do to prove things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, uh, and then like, from there, you know? It's like, yeah, I'm not going to represent super murderer. Like that's his like power. <laughs> But like, you know, next week on Cecile of Approval, the TV show, that's what I want to see. I like that. I like the name of that. So, but, and then we get another plot with, uh, that solves one of the Joe's biggest problems where, uh, uh, where Caitlin is going to go off and live as, uh, what, what's her superpower's name? Killer Frost. Killer Killer Frost. Frost is going to go and be her own person away from Caitlin. And they give her a a thing that makes her eyes stop glowing. And now her voice is normal 
all the time. So it won't be Killer Frost voice half the time and then Caitlin's voice half the time when she's Killer Frost driving Joe nuts. So problem solved. But if we get a... <laughs> they did that so early in the show and then they acknowledge it like two more times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, she barely does the evil voice. Why are we making such a big deal about this? Well, now you know how I feel about Wells when he's walking around with a murderer's face. <laughs> I have it in my back pocket. <laughs> wow. But, so. But Flash was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this doesn't feel like it's really amping up or heading toward the big Crisis on Infinite Earth stuff that we know is coming for the mid-season finale. Uh, I understand I'm not watching it, but Todd... There was more on Arrow this week about the lead-up to Christ on Infinite Earths? Yes. Um, basically, since last season, uh, and it happened during like the crossover, that the Monitor said, Arrow's going to die uh, in the crisis. There's no adverting it, so uh, you have to come and work for me. And in the last season, he does. He leaves, and he goes with the, with, with the Monitor. And we watch Arrow and basically there's a future storyline where it's all the kids of the various current members of team Arrow. We, you don't even, you as a, as a watcher don't even have to worry about that. I do feel it's going to weave into crisis at some point, but right now irrelevant, but the monitor has sent, uh, Ollie Arrow to earth Two, which has all the evil versions of, of our characters. And he says, you have to get me these dwarf star particles like that, uh, the Adam had, but they're only available on Earth 2 for some reason. So he goes and he has the adventure and he pretends, you know, to know people, blah, blah, blah. That's all you need to know. And then at the end, he's like, all right, me and Diggle shows up later. He's like, me and Diggle are going to go home. And he's talking to the Earth 2 Black Canary, who was evil but is good now from, from Arrow. He's like, well, we're going home. We're going to leave you. And as they're doing it, the they're at the police station and all you know heck breaks loose and the phones are going off and they look out the window and the wall of antimatter is coming and they're like well what's going on like we don't understand it and he ends up uh the whole world is just wiped earth 2 is wiped off the map by antimatter but diggle arrow and the earth 2 black canary end up escaping leaving you know earth 2 destroyed so i was like to anybody like you who's not watching, I'm like, this is huge. Earth 2 is gone. Like, forget it. Like, the, the antimatter waves are officially taking things out, but we don't know that yet on Flash. We just get the premonition. So I was like, this is a big, to me, a big deal. But it looked really cool. So I'm, ho- I'm hoping to see more. So that's as, we, as we head toward this, of course, I, I hope you will uh, keep us more abreast of what's going on with the goings-on over on Arrow as we lead to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, only nine more episodes left, so yes, Mm -hmm. I will. Now, one thing that I didn't get a chance to get caught up on, again, it was a very busy week, Uh, no excuse, but it was, uh, I'm still behind on Batwoman. How's Batwoman doing? Um, I liked uh, episode two, like you said, you didn't get to see it, but episode three is starting to, like, really flesh things out and not to spoil too much, but like an actual Batman villain shows up other than Alice. Um, Do you want to know who it is or do you care? Oh, wait, I'm going to try my best to watch it uh, between now and then. Right. But um, they end up giving her the full Megillah as Batwoman. 
And it's very interesting. I just want to say this, and you know, it doesn't it doesn't ruin anything. Is now she has the red wig, and she has the red lipstick, and she's she's she, and she has the red you know bat on her chest, and how it like it's one of those things where we talk about secret identities with Superman. How it really helps because Kate, uh, uh, Kate Kane would not be the person to wear long bright red hair and wear like gaudy makeup or anything like that. So like when you see Kate in her everyday life and then look at like the person in the bat suit, your mind doesn't go, like go there. If that makes any sense, it really works, but I really enjoyed the villain and the story. Um, there's one or two minor, like where I'm going, like we need to get away from this, but I'm in the third episode of Batwoman where they're starting to work in more Gotham esque stuff. I'm really enjoying. Cool. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing, I'm not sure if I'll be checking out is I know the HBO Watchmen show started this week. Yes. And I ended up watching that. And basically it is the show takes place in 2019. <gasps> That's this year, Todd. Yes, it is. But it, it's a re by everything that I've watched. It is not the movie. It's, the, if the comic had happened, and let's just take Doomsday Clock out of the equation, which is definitely going to finish in December. Um, I hear you winking into the microphone. I'm not winking. That is a straightforward, honest assess, assessment. But it's if the original 12-part uh, miniseries had you know gone on till now, because at one point they mentioned the squid and other stuff, but... Uh, I actually really enjoyed the show. It had me on the edge of my seat. Like a lot of times I didn't understand a lot of stuff because they're going in. They're like, well, this happened. And like cops now get to wear masks to hide their identity, to protect their families and stuff like that. Because something happened years ago after the Watchmen comic called the white, the, the white knight, whether they mean KN, you know, like the, like the, the KN version or the knight. Uh, was the white knight. I don't know, but something changed and they're like, there's a clue. There's this, there's that. There's a weird thing where you get an alarm and these little squid rain down from the sky, which I think has something to do with what's going on. You know, what's what, what happened with the squid. They've you like in a paper, they noticed that like Veet has been declared dead. So we don't know what's going on, but then he shows up later. But the most interesting thing joe and it ended up making me learn something is very early on in the show it shows tulsa oklahoma 1921 and it ends up being like this this race riot and like black people shooting white people and white people shoot like the planes dropping bombs into like a uh a World War One like biplane dropping bombs on this town, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. They made up this like thing where there was like a race war in in, in America in the, in the 1921, and I end up looking up, and it's real. Like it's called the bombing of the Black Wall Street, where over three days, there like black black people and white people were just killing each other in the streets over someone being arrested for a crime, whether or not he did or didn't do it, and it was tough to watch joe like tough but i'm like how did i never hear about this and then like i read up on it and it's it was like in tulsa like they buried it they're like it we know it happened but nobody ever talks about it we're not putting it in any of the school books and i'm like this is the weirdest thing if you want to look up something really crazy it's called the the bombing 
of Black Wall Street. And I there's like documentaries on everything. Like, I need to look into this more. So I was hooked from the beginning with that. And then like the rest of the Watchmen-esque stuff is 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 interesting. So, you know, I, I was just blown away by something I had never heard of, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's uh kind of a tale of how history was taught to us when we were children and how it's going to be taught to people going forward. One wonders if more and more people will see something like this in an episode of Watchmen or in a movie or whatever it is mm-hmm. and do that next step and look that a little bit further to see what inspired that and see if it was made of whole cloth or as you found with this, that it was something real, it was just kind of a, a dark path, a dark chapter of our history that people try to hide, you know? Yep. And like I said, I'm not trying to be political or anything like, cause that's not our bag, but I was really blown away and I don't fancy myself a genius, but you know, we've talked, Joe, we, we have our fingers in a lot of weird pies of like information, like to like my whole life. I've gone with never hearing this. It blew me away. Like something, when you see the opening scene that this happened and reading up that it's an accurate, you know, assessment of the situation. I'm like, how is this not out there? It blows my mind. So maybe that'll get people just to watch it, just to see that opening, like 10 minute, interesting situation. Do we know how many episodes this is? I'm going to say 10. I don't know, but I'll look it up because that seems to be the HBO formula. If that makes any sense, because like uh, a lot of uh, the, the, the shows that I've watched on there from uh, Westworld to um, what do I want to say? Uh, like Game of Thrones and everything seems to be uh, ten episodes, but I'm looking right now. It's nine, according to a website that I found. So maybe there'll be a tenth that they'll secretly add at the end, but nine as of right now. Interesting. Well, yep. maybe it'll get watched, just not uh, at the top of the list, you know? I got you. And like you said, I'm not trying to push it on you. I'm just, I'm genuinely interested in the show, and it, and it got bumped to the top of my list. Interesting. All right. Well, a lot more TV talk than we we had expected. Yep. And I guess, is there anything else that we need to talk about? No, I think that's everything, good man. All right. We could throw this... Uh, script out and get ready for seven days from now to record one more time that's right so closing out episode 473 of the long box heroes for todd this is joe saying thanks for listening and we'll see you all here next week remember be a faucet not a drain You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.